0: Hi Church, my name's Brock. It's good to be with you today. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've actually found myself reflecting on my school years um, and particularly thinking about the, my approach and maybe belief that I had in that particular time. Uh, when I was 18, I knew or I believed that all I needed was a determined inner strength to face all that life would throw at me. And I needed a commitment to run toward each opportunity that arose. I was determined to build my own life, and I knew that I would be able to look back proud at everything I had built and achieved. Obviously, uh, a few years down the track now, I've learned a lot from that particular point in time. Through my experiences, I've learned that uh, that particular approach did not and would not have a good outcome for me or for those around me. What was it that was driving me to think this way? It was pride. I can testify that the only uh, outcome of pride is a very unhealthy and inflated view of self and a deflated view of those around us. Pride makes us feel better about ourselves, absolutely, but it's always at the expense of other people. There's wisdom in Proverbs and Proverbs uh, chapter 16 verse 18 rings so true. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty or arrogant spirit before a fall. As I think about my story, and today as we explore the scripture, this too is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. We find ourselves in the book of Daniel chapter 4. If I could give this chapter a particular theme or a title, it would be this. It would be called, The Humbling of the Proud. Or maybe God can bring low those who think of themselves high. Let's pray this morning as we open his scriptures together. Lord, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, that you give us wisdom, that you speak to us, that it changes us at a intellectual level and at a belief level in our hearts. Allow this word today to transform us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's really important that we remember the events of Daniel chapter 1 to chapter 3 um, as we ex- that we've explored together over the last three weeks as we come to this particular point in um, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, story today. Uh, these three chapters, we see God's continual favor, protection and deliverance of four young Israelite men, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar was a witness to these events, um, but he also saw the power of God through dream and the interpretation of dreams, which were actually warnings. But despite all of this, Nebuchadnezzar's pride and self-centeredness caused him to keep his eyes on him and his own interests. Today, chapter four, uh, we come and it's a really unique chapter in the whole of the book of Daniel because this is a personal account this is the salvation testimony of a Gentile king the monarch of the most powerful empire in the world at the time Babylon is sharing the story of what God did in his life the story of how a pagan ruler was totally and supernaturally transformed to a praising believer let me walk you through Uh, the chapter this chapter and point out a really uh, some really important things for us today Uh, in verse one you'll notice that king nebuchadnezzar starts by saying peace and prosperity to you when i read that i was thinking that is really strange, because this is coming out of the mouth of a man whose one of his favorite saying was, I want to tear you limb from limb and turn your house into a pile or a heap of rubble. So obviously, something profound and supernatural has happened in this king's life to mellow him to the point that he's actually starting to sound like the Apostle Paul or Peter in the New Testament. Verse 2 says, I want you to know all about the miraculous signs and wonders of the most high God and all that he has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. He obviously wanted everyone to know. And he also understood the most basic lesson of theology. And it's this. There is a mighty king in heaven and that is not us. So what what is it that happened that happened to bring king Nebuchadnezzar to this point? We read that he received a god-given dream that rattled him to his core. Another terrifying dream. We remember the one he had in chapter 2. Once again, he did exactly the same as chapter 2. He goes straight to his people and calls for his magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to come and tell him what this dream meant. They couldn't tell him what his last dream meant, and they couldn't now. So I want to ask, why didn't Nebuchadnezzar learn and call Daniel in straight away? I think this may have been the reason. In the ancient world, military victory generally meant that the gods of the conquering nation were greater than the gods of the nations that they conquered. So what is happening here? Nebuchadnezzar knew that he had conquered every other nation. So by calling his people in first before Daniel, he was quite possibly declaring that his Babylonian gods were much more powerful than the god of Daniel the God of Israel. But they weren't. Having exhausted all other Babylonian um, avenues, he calls in for Daniel, we see in verse 8. Can I ask, is God your first resource or your last resort? Too often, just as we saw in verse 6, we say or maybe through our actions that we'll go to all other people, things, books, and research, whatever it be, first, before we go to God. When we're faced with a decision, quite often we go to other things first. What or who do you go to first as your first resource? Do you jump on the phone and talk and debrief with a friend? Or do you seek uh, God's advice through prayer and um, exploring the scriptures? Do you read a self-help book or the Bible first? Do you try harder or do it in Jesus' strength? Do you find your self-worth, your hope, trust and comfort and security in people? Or do you bask in the truth of who God says you are? God must be our first resource and not our last resort. Verse 8. At last Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. He was named Belshazzar after my God and the spirit of the holy God is in him. I said to him, Belshazzar, king of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar has given Daniel the name Belshazzar. This is fascinating because Bel was, one of, was Nebuchadnezzar's favorite god, Marduk, and Shazzar means protect the king. It's interesting that he has deliberately given the captives of Israel new names, these four men, not just so they blend in, but to change their allegiance from their God to the gods of Babylon. Bel is Nebuchadnezzar's God. But in this moment, he acknowledges that Daniel's God is the only God who can reveal dreams. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar knows the power of God, big G, at a head level. I want us to notice something here. This understanding or knowledge of who God is rings true for countless people in our world today. What do I mean by that? You can know a lot about God, but still not make him Lord of your life. The thing is, you can believe that or believe in, but not both. You can believe that Jesus is the son of God. You can believe that he died for the forgiveness of your sin. You can believe that he is powerful and majestic. But to believe in Jesus, so much more than that. It means that there has to be a deliberate choice to live a life surrendered to him. Nebuchadnezzar, for for so many years, lived in what I want to call the gap. The gap between what he knew intellectually at a head level and what he allowed to transform and possess his heart. That gap is only 30 centimetres. But so many people choose to live in that small gap. As I was praying about this, I actually noticed this gap in Scripture. Come with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See the gap? The word and. It separates a confession from our mouth, which is the knowledge of who Jesus is, and the belief of that truth at the depth of our heart. Don't live in the gap. You can know a lot about God, or you can make him the lord of your life so here's nebuchadnezzar's dream this dream is one of a very impressive tree verse 11 it says the tree grew very tall reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see so that doesn't mean that you can see this particular tree from any geographical location on the earth but rather signifies the importance and power of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian in, um, empire kingdom. Verse twelve it says, "Wild animals and birds alike are said to be found to have found shelter and provision under and in this tree." In the midst of this very impressive image of this tree of a tree, an angelic messenger, or in Aramaic, a watcher comes and issues a decree of judgment. We read that the tree will be cut down, but all that will be left will be a stump and the roots, and even the stump and roots will be bound with a band of iron and bronze. It's really significant that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a tree. In Reynolds Schauer's book, The Most High God, he writes this. In his inscriptions... Nebuchadnezzar boasted that he had personally cut down some huge trees from the forest of Lebanon. He even had a picture of himself cutting a cedar, which was inscribed on a stone. One gets the impression that the king exulted in the fact that he could cut down a towering giant of strength. This tree this king who delighted in cutting down trees, would soon be cut down himself. How ironic. But there was a glimmer of hope that he wouldn't be completely destroyed. The stump would be left in the ground with a band of bronze around it. In the Bible, bronze speaks of judgment. As long as the bronze was around the stump, it would be restricted until the point in time where the, the bronze strap was removed and the tree could regrow. You will notice a shift in language in verse 15. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it swaps from being a tree to being a person. The language changes from cut down the tree to let him, that what which was cut down. No wonder he was beginning to sweat. Verse 16, we read that for seven periods of time, so for seven years, he would live amongst the wild animals and amongst the fields. Let him have the mind of an animal instead of the mind of a human. Not only to live like an animal, but to have the mind of an animal as well. Some scholars have thought that the king's illness was called boanthropy, which is imagining oneself to be an animal and acting accordingly. So what does this dream mean for Nebuchadnezzar? Let's have a look at Daniel's interpretation verse 22. He says, "'You, O King, are the tree. You will be driven away from people and will live like the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of of men and gives them to anyone he wishes.'" The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that the kingdom, your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Not very good news for a king. God is doing something so radical to bring Nebuchadnezzar to the point where he finally gets off his prideful and arrogant horse and acknowledges God as the most high. It's so radical at first that Daniel didn't even want to tell the king the interpretation. He said, if only the dream would apply to your enemies. But we see it didn't. We see Daniel's advice in verse 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Do this. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you'll continue to prosper. Verse twenty-eight. As this happened to the, all this happened to the king. Twelve months later, as the king was walking along the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, "Is not this great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty?" As soon as his words, by my own mighty power and for my glory, in a sense, came out of his mouth the dream was set into motion. His declaration, in a sense, was a nail in his coffin. What a poor memory. Just 12 months since God warned him through the dream. God alone should be exalted and glorified, and nobody should be exalted but him. Let's pause for a moment. Let's notice 12 months passed between the dream And it's fulfillment. This is really significant because we see that God was very, very patient with Nebuchadnezzar, giving him a whole year to repent. We see God's heart and love for people in this. And that includes for you and I. He wants us to know him. He's patient and really doing all he can to love us toward himself. He wants us to accept and receive his love and is giving us time to do that but we don't want it to be, to leave it too late 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance remember Nebuchadnezzar's story is not finished yet and maybe that's the same for you maybe it's the same for your children who it's the same for your children who don't know him or for those you've been journeying with or been praying with for what seems like a a really long time their story is not finished yet God is patient and I want to remind you today to trust in the truth that God desires his children to know him what is it that stopped or delayed nebuchadnezzar from surrendering surrendering his life to god it was his pride just as it was for me when i was 18 the bible from page page one of genesis right through to the last page in the book of revelation is clear clear that god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble i wonder what nebuchadnezzar's pride or maybe our pride is actually stopping us from seeing doing or experiencing what god wants to do in and through us we see so many examples of this in scripture we read this first in proverbs three thirty-four, and twice again in the new testament in james and peter Other examples we see in the Old Testament, examples of kings who ruled Israel and Judah, who find the major factor that determined either their success or defeat was whether they were responding and leaning out of pride or out of humility calling on the strength and lead of God. Pride is more than arrogance. It's preferring self-will to God's will. Pride says I and me where humility says, he and him. I want you at this point to think about pride like a concrete road barrier, sitting between your head and your heart with little legs, always trying to sneak in and do all it can to to prevent the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Pride becomes the roadblock that prevents what we know from actually being imprinted on the tablet of our heart being our belief. And we know that transformation happens at a heart level. So how do we remove this barrier of pride? I actually think it's quite simple. The simple truth of John 15 in verse 5, we read this, "'I am the vine,' Jesus says, "'and you are my branches. "'The one who abides in me and I in him.'" Bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Turn your eyes to Jesus rather than having our eyes on ourselves. Deliberately and intentionally pursue Christ, both through the power of the Holy Spirit and the discipleship of your Christian brothers and sisters. Nebuchadnezzar had to live as a beast in the field for seven years until the moment he was humbled. His pride extinguished and turned his eyes to heaven. Look at this, verse 34. After this time had passed, I and Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven. My sanity at that point my sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the most High and honored the one who lives forever. He said, His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases amongst the angels of heaven and amongst the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? What a story of transformation. Can I get a cheer? Can I get a hallelujah? A pagan king transformed to a praising believer, he turned to Christ, and I want to say the time for him and the time for you to turn to Christ is now. Don't wait for the change in your, for a change in your circumstances until you get to a certain age or move up the ranks in your career, pay off that house, um, come into that new relationship. I want to invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I don't want you to get caught in the gap and let it be too late for you. God pursued Nebuchadnezzar for 30 years and he's pursuing you as well. We absolutely stand in the end days. We are closer to Jesus' return today than ever before. And we're told that he will return like a thief in the night. We won't know the day or hour. We'll be called to make a decision. Or actually we, actually, we already have made a decision. We've made a decision to either declare Jesus as Lord or for us to be our own God. And please let me be really clear. You are either for God or against him. You can't sit in a neutral position. I declared Jesus as my Lord when I was 19, and that decision secured my eternal salvation. Will that be your story as well? Will you come to heaven with me? The choice is yours. Jesus does not force you to follow him, but it's an invitation that he offers you today. And what God is doing right now is beautifully, sensitively, persistently and patiently calling you to himself nebuchadnezzar as we think about nebuchadnezzar's story he was restored through his humility the moment he turned his eyes to jesus he was restored as head of his kingdom with an even great with an even greater honor and prosperity than before this can be your story as well let me pray Lord, I thank you for your love for your children. Father, I thank you for your desire that none should perish and live an eternal, self, uh, eternal life separate from you. Father, right now I pray that people see your strong and beautiful call, your gift of grace and mercy, the gift of uh, forgiveness of sin and eternal salvation. Father, help us to trust in you, And allow your truth humbly to transform what we know intellectually at our heart level as our belief. And we know that that will transform us as we live out our life as your children. And we pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.